morning, everybody. How's everyone doing today? He's great. How's everybody else doing? Yeah. As always, I love you, and it is an honor, it's a privilege to get to minister the Word of God. So thankful, so grateful to Pastor Mitch um, for allowing me to stand in front of you all to do this, and I'm excited to do it. Are you excited for the Word this morning? You should, yes, believers, you should be excited for the word. And I'll tell you why. Because these are the words of Jesus. And he has the words of eternal life. And if you are in need of life, read his word. Listen to his word. You know, uh, it's great. Let me get some water. I'm sorry. I sank so hard down there. Let's do this. So it's springtime. And you know what springtime is, right? Wedding season. Yeah. And many of you have probably already gotten um, wedding invitations. You've already gotten save the date notifications. Some of you may have already been asked to be in somebody's bridal party. And you're like, yes, I would love to. And then you're regretting it because now you realize how much money you're about to drop on renting that tuxedo. You're like, I'm so honored. And then you get to uh, David's bridal and you're like, shoot, I ain't bringing a wedding gift to this party. And so um, I'm the gift. I'm the gift. That's, that's, how, that's how we get. Um, but it's exciting. And, um, you know, love is in there and just all these cool things are happening. But um, and we've all had, you know, we've all had our experiences at weddings and wedding receptions. And we just remember some of the most awesomest times. I love to I should have gave you guys a, a picture of my son. The last wedding I was at, um, somebody called a picture of my three year old with a bottle of um, Welsh's grape juice, non-alcoholic grape juice. And I mean, he called it. He was like just turning upside down. I love to see my oldest son dance at a reception. After we come from a wedding reception, he's always like, can we go to another one next week? They just, they just, they just like it. You know, everybody likes a good wedding. But there is one wedding and there is one party, one wedding reception, the party of all parties that you want to make sure you're at. Mm. In fact, you don't want to miss it because you're the bride. It's your wedding, and Jesus is the groom, and you're going to be marrying him, and I want to make sure you're there. God wants to make sure you're there. And so my goal this morning is to, number one, make sure you're at your own wedding, <laughs> and number two, make sure you're the type of bride that Jesus wants to marry. So we're going, we're going to dig into it this morning. Let me pray. Father God, we love you. We honor you. It is all about you. Everything we say, everything we do, the reason we're here this morning, it's because of you. We want to learn of you. We ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would pour out the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, and the knowledge of you. Open our eyes to see what it is that you're speaking to us in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah, you don't have to go there just yet, but Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5 says, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. I said all of that to say, there's a wedding. Jesus is your groom. He's the bridegroom, and he's also your maker, which means as we talk about wedding and marriage, 
uh, today. I want you to keep that in mind that, yes, even the men in here, yeah, you're the bride. <laughs> you're the bride. Yep, yeah, you're the bride. And if you can listen and grasp hold of that fact that you're the bride, it'll help you be able to rightly relate to who Jesus is and what I'm talking about. So let's start in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 22 through 33. Take out your pen, take out your notepad, your iPad, and let's take notes. Let's get into God's word. Amen. It says here, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Amen. As you know, the uh, biblical concept of marriage is a lot different than our current cultural you know, and how we, how we view marriage, you know, um, the husband and the wife, they are equal. And, um, what God is doing is he is nurturing, nurturing, excuse me, you and I, he's nurturing us to bring us up to where Jesus is. You say, how in the world? Well, you are seated together, together with him in heavenly places. So God He loves you so much that he is, through his son, Jesus Christ, our bridegroom, he is wooing you and raising you up so that you can be where he is, where God the Father is. Does does that make sense, what I'm saying? And every good wife, she is a compliment to her husband. All the men say amen. Amen. She is adaptive. She is willing to do whatever the Lord asks her to do. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. A good wife is subject to her husband, meaning she is influenced by him. She is under his covering. She is honored, and, and she's honored to stand by her husband and to help and to support him. Now, what I did not just say is she is below him. She is beside him. She is a help. Women say, you better appreciate me. Right? Right? You know? So, 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 I... Some people might have just said that and said, you see that? You better do what I said. That's not what I just read. That's not what I just read. The wife is there to help to support her husband. The church, the bride, we are here to help Jesus do what he wants to accomplish in the earth. We're not doing our own thing. In fact, we are supporting him. We are honoring him. It is an honor for us to stand beside him and to even take on his last name. So what we do is not apart from him. It is for him and unto him. Does that make sense? All right. We're going to keep going here. So I want to, I, 
I was looking into Jewish marriage customs, and I'm telling you, y'all, it is wild. And so um, I'm, I'm going to tell you about it. Um, so get ready. And but um, when I explain what I'm, when I tell you what I'm about to tell you about Jewish marriage customs, um, what you'll see is a lot of what Jesus actually spoke of in the New Testament. It all lines up with Jewish marriage customs. It's wild. So I'm going to talk to you about betrothal. Everybody say betrothal. Don't spit on the person in front of you. Betrothal. (laughs) Betrothal involves the establishment of a marriage covenant. Are you with me? So here's how it all works. The, The bridegroom, he leaves his father's house and he goes to where his prospective bride is. And when he gets there, he speaks with her father and they decide on a price that he's going to pay. Um, it's called the Mohar. So he, um, and, and that's not it. They, a marriage covenant has not been established until the price is paid. Once he pays the price, it is understood that now she is off the market. She is set apart. She is sanctified. She is consecrated exclusively for her husband, for her fiance. And then here's what happens after that. There's a separation period of 12 months. He goes back to his father's house and he spends the next 12 months um, making preparations for to bring the bride back to himself. She, on the other hand, in her 12 months, she is spending her time making herself ready. The end of 12 months is coming. Like we said, it's 12 months. So, you know, it's 12 months, but we don't know the exact time and day that the bridegroom is going to come and get her. Does that make sense? So we know, oh, it's been 12 months. Is he coming today? Is he coming tomorrow? It's around this time. And what happens is the bridegroom and his best man and his male escorts, they, there's a procession that goes out in the nighttime. It's a torch-led procession to go and get the bridegroom. And because she doesn't know, what happens is his coming is preceded by a shout, hey, get ready. And she's like, you hear that? They're around the corner. So she gets, she gets herself together and she gets her bridesmaids. And so now her bridesmaids and his groomsmen, that's how we would say it, they all go back to the groom's father's house where there is people already there. There's a guest already there. And this is where it gets wild. Straightway, straightway, they, they get off that donkey straightway. They go into the bridal chamber. And they consummate the marriage. And the entire bridal party, they wait outside the door while the marriage is being consummated. I told you as well. And after the marriage is consummated, the uh, bridegroom, he lets the bridal party know. And they celebrate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the bridal party, they let all the guests know. And they celebrate. They celebrate so hard that they do it for a whole week. They eat and they party for a whole week. Y'all get tired after one cha-cha slide, one electric slide, a few meatballs, we ready to go home. For a whole week, they party. The bride, on the other hand, she has to stay tucked away, hidden in the bridal chamber. No one sees her. On the seventh day, she's allowed to come out, and she removes her veil, and everyone can say, wow, this is the bride. So I don't know about you. I don't know if you could hear 
scripture when I was telling you that story, but that's just chock full of scripture. And so I want to explain the significance of that. We all know that the father loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son, right? And so like I've already said, he uses Jesus to woo you. He uses Jesus to draw us to himself. And so he sends Jesus. He says, hey, I want you to go and get a church, get a bride, and I want you to marry them. And the marriage covenant, I forgot this part earlier, the marriage covenant is established once he pays the price, but what they do symbolically is, is they share a cup of wine. We know that as communion. So he drinks from this cup, she drinks from the cup. Um, And then symbolically, the marriage covenant is established. But when Jesus came, the night he ate the Passover with the disciples, they just thought it was, you know, they were just carrying out what took place um, in the book of Exodus when God instituted the Passover. But Jesus makes this statement. He says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant? What covenant? It's a marriage covenant. So what happened right there, he announced the the manner in which he was going to betroth them with his blood. Hey, I'm going to pay for something, and I'm going to do it with my blood. So when we take, I will never think of communion the same way again. So when we take communion, yes, it is a retelling. Yes, it is a remembering of what Jesus has done on the cross, but it is also a reminder of who we belong to. It reminds us of the fact that we are a spouse to marry Jesus one day. And it is a reminder that God loved you and I so much that he sent his son and the manner that which he acquired us was with his blood. Say amen if you like that. So let's talk about the fact that we've been purchased by the blood. I know we just celebrated celebrated Easter, so I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna walk through you through all that. But I want to read some scriptures and I want to talk to you about the manner in which He purchased us with His blood. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nineteen says, "Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own?" For you were bought at a price. Say, I was bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And then Matthew chapter 27, verse 41. This right here, I cried over this for a week. This this little bit right here, I'm going to tell you. Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He saved others. Think about it. This is Jesus. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He multiplied food. He revealed the father. And they're saying, look, <laughs> he saved others, but he, he himself he cannot save. And this is blow, here's what blows me up. It's not that he could not save. It's that he would not save is that he would not save. He says, I am so bent on pleasing the Father, I'm not going to come down, number one. But number two, I love you so much, I can't bring myself. I'm not going to be that selfish and bring myself off of this cross. That's what he says. And then, and then there's Hebrews 12 too. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What am I saying? Kim, you are the joy that was before him. What am I saying? Colin, you are the joy set before him. Chuck, you are the reason that he endured the cross, that he despised the shame. 
It's not just about this, you know, just here's the cross. Here's some nails. Here's some blood. I believe it. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. No, it was so personal. He says, it, it's not just about having a bride. For some people, they get married just so they can do married stuff. That's not what it is for Jesus. I love you so much, I have to have you. I have to have you. Hit me again. Hit me 39 times. Hit me. You don't even got to tie me down. I'm going to get back up. Hit me again because Kelly's worth it. Hit me again because Ronnie's worth it. Hit me again. Oh, spit on me. Hit me. Talk about me. Mock me. It does not matter. My church is worth it. You've got to get this. For Jesus, it was so much more than we make it out to be. It was about you. For the person here, for the person who's watching, who feels like they're unseen, for the person who feels like they're forgotten, for the person who feels like nobody in the world cares about me, if he cared enough to hang on a cross and to suffer the way that he suffered, you've got to know that he cares about every detail of your life. He sees your hurt. He sees your pain. He sees your struggle. And he wants to help you in it. I'll let that fall where it needs to fall. But he cares so much. He cares so deeply. Who else would love you this way? Who else would care for you this way? Who else? Who else? Who? Nobody. That's right. Nobody. So now that the mohar has been paid, now that he has paid with his blood, there are two things that have to, have to happen now. The bride is set apart. She's sanctified. For him. She's off the market. And now there's a time of separation that has to happen. So with his blood, not only did he purchase us, he cleansed us. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, right, there's no forgiveness of sin. There's no remission of, of sin. But what this blood does is that it cleanses us. We've already read in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You are holy. You know that? You are holy. And then Hebrews 13, 12 says, therefore, Jesus also suffered and died outside the city's gate in order that he might purify and consecrate the people through the shedding of his own blood and set them apart as holy for God. Listen, God is holy. Pastor Mitch does a beautiful job of explaining this much better than than I'm about to probably. But God is holy and nothing unholy can be where he is. The Bible says that God who dwells in unapproachable light. You can't get to him. But God is now approachable through the blood of Jesus. His blood, I got a friend of mine who wrote a song. He says his blood has made a way for us to come close without shame. So that's, 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 that's what happened. So God loves you so much. Again, he sent his son to obtain you with his blood so that you can now approach the father. Jesus's 
whole, yeah, yeah, he died to bring about forgiveness of sins, but it was also to point you to the father. He wouldn't be a good son if he didn't get out of the way to point you to his father. So now you have access to the father. You understand what I'm saying? So, like I said, there's this period of separation now. And I've already said he has gone to uh, prepare a place, but she has to um, now make herself ready. Right. So John 14, one, two says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. So he prepares a place for her, but she prepares herself for him. Jesus preparing a place for you. You are now preparing yourself for him. So the question is, how? How are you preparing yourself? What are we doing? Here's the answer. You're drawing near to God. James 4 verse 8 says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. But you don't want to just get close enough to get his blood on you. There's a lot of people who they hear the gospel. Um, they accept what Jesus did. They say a prayer. And that's it. I'm good. I'm co- this is the equivalent of in the natural when we're getting married. Uh, uh, some people, they put so much emphasis on the day and not the longevity of the marriage. Does, does that make sense? Um, you know, they're more excited about the attention, the flowers, the, the dressing up. They're excited about the food the catering there. They pay more attention to not letting this person sit next to this person because, you know, back in the day there was a scuffle and there's a whole story behind that. But we put more attention on that the day than we actually do on the longevity of the marriage. And that's, and that's what I'm saying. For some of us, we just focus on the prayer. I said the prayer, I'm good. I'm covered. Can I let you in on something? That's not the bride he's coming back for. There's a word for that. Exploiter. Just for the benefits. It's fine. I'm just purchasing fire insurance is, is what that is. Um, but those who have a successful marriage with longevity with Jesus, listen, they live their lives infatuated with who he is. Infatuated with his word. Infatuated with his presence. Infatuated with his people. Infatuated with him. Why does he want you to be infatuated with him, right? Mark 12, 30. They said, God, uh, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, huh, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Why would he say, love me with everything that's within you? That's what he said. Love me with everything. Why would he say that? It's because he has feelings. Jesus gets, ang- he gets angry. Y'all, y'all heard about him flipping tables over in the temple? He gets sad. He wept over his friend Lazarus in the tomb. Yeah. Um, he gets happy. He, he, he. Yeah, he rejoices. All the things. He has emotions because he's a real person. A lot of times we, Jesus is an idea. God is an idea. It's just, ooh, it's just that. It's no different than Halloween for some people. But he's a real person. And why would he say the best thing, the greatest thing you can give, you can do, is to love me? Because that's all he wants from you. That's all he wants from you. He wants his bride to be faithful rather than unfaithful. Okay, so let's talk about the unfaithful bride. The unfaithful bride is a distracted bride. She is a distracted bride. I don't know if you have been aware of all that's going on in the world, but there's a lot going on that's 
trying to get your attention, trying to get your eyes off of Jesus. You, you know what I mean? Like everything, even the good things that the Lord has given you and blessing us. If we're not careful, we'll allow Satan to use those as a resource to draw us away from the Lord. Thank God for the job. I'm just not going to come to church. I don't have time to pray because I got to work. Thank God for this baby that I cried and pleaded over. But now I'm too tired to go and sit with the Lord. You see what I'm saying? Um, distract. And it's just, just life in general. Some things we do, some things the world does, you know what they are. But Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. For I am zealous for you with a godly eagerness and a divine jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But now I am fearful lest that even as the serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning, so your minds may be corrupted and seduced from wholehearted and sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Jesus says, if you look at something else with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. Lust is just something you want really badly. It doesn't have to be bad, but you can lust over it. And what happens is your lust can eclipse your love. It's not that you don't love him, but it eclipses your love for him. I know that I wouldn't want my wife spending more time with her favorite TV show than she does with me. Does that make sense? Let alone another man like that just wouldn't happen. But I'm just saying, God has feelings. He wants you to love him with everything. If you love him with everything that's in you, there's nothing left for you to give to other things. That's what we're getting at here. I mean, if we're being honest, when people start to be distracted, it's because dissatisfaction is there. And when dissatisfaction is present, it's only because they took their eyes off of Jesus. Because in him is everything you need. In him is life. Who else, who else is altogether lovely? Who else, like I said, would die the manner in which he died for you? Does that make sense? So what should happen is we should say our prayer, our cry should be every day. It's a prayer of consecration, really. It should be, Lord, strip it all away. It should be, Lord, don't let the little foxes come and spoil the vineyards of our love. Don't let anything come between us. You know what I mean? And you can reach a place where you are so intimate with the Lord where you don't just, you know, you don't just pray for normal things anymore. You pray stuff like that. Lord, help me to keep my eyes on you. Lord, you know, it's not so much about things anymore. And he wants you to have, he wants you to be blessed. That's not what I'm saying. But you can get to a place where all you want in him. See, the problem is it's mixture. Jesus and. He wants to be Jesus alone. Just Jesus, not Jesus and. You, you see where I'm going with that? You get, you understand where I'm going with that? Okay. The faithful bride, though, let's talk about her. Because that's, that's really what we need to spend our time talking about. She has first love. First love. Let's read Revelations chapter 2, verse 2 and 5. This is Jesus talking to the church of Ephesus. And I don't know if you really know about the church of Ephesus, but Paul started the church of Ephesus. Timothy pastored the church of Ephesus. John, the beloved, the one who laid his head on Jesus' chest and who wrote the book of Revelation, spent time there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, spent time at the, what a pastoral team. I'm just saying. And he, and he writes this. You ready? I know your industry and activities, your laborious toil and trouble and your patient endurance and how you cannot tolerate wicked men and have tested and critically 
appraise those who call themselves apostles or special messengers of Christ and yet are not and have found them to be imposters and liars. I know you are enduring patiently and are bearing up for my name's sake and you have not fainted or become exhausted or grown weary. It sounds like they're doing a great job, doesn't it? Verse four, but I have this one charge to make against you that you have left abandoned the love that you had at first. He says, you have deserted me, your first love. Remember then from what heights you have fallen. Repent, that means to change the inner man to meet God's will and do the works you did previously when first you knew the Lord or else I will visit you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you change your mind and repent. And you know what? He did remove that lampstand. He did do that. All these great people I told you who spent time at that church, they were more infatuated with what they could do for the Lord than they were with the Lord. Does that make sense? And he said, you're doing all of these great things. But here's the thing. You've left me, though. You've left me in the dirt. But here's how you get it back. You do what you did at first. Y'all remember when you first got saved? You see this right here? Can y'all see how my Bible is practically glowing in the dark? So much highlighter. Everything was, I mean, like you turn the paper and it says, horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake that law. You're like, oh, Jesus, that's so wonderful. It's so good. That's so good. He talking about breaking jaws and plucking eyes out. And you're like, oh, Lord, you're so dreamy. First love, you were just in love. Okay, and then let me help you out in the natural. You remember how when you were young, yeah, I know nobody do it now, but when you would be on your house phone, right, and uh, you'd be talking to your girlfriend, and you'd be like so infatuated with their voice, prayer, that you don't want to get off the phone all night. Hang up. No, you hang up. You hang up. Okay, let's hang up together. One, two, three. You didn't hang up. No, no, no. All right, I read it. All right. You know what I mean? Or, 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 or you for, you don't have anything to say. And you're like, you find yourself that you're like, John, you just want to hear the other person breathe. You just. Oh, man. Oh, do you remember when you were like that with your. No. Okay. Maybe, maybe just me and my wife. I love you, girl. That's my wife and my baby mama. Y'all know we've been together longer than we've been apart. I, she raised me. <laughs> yep, yep. And I, I do love her with all my heart. I love you, girl. So. But do you remember how it is when you, your first love was with Jesus, though? Every song, Every song was a love song to the Lord. It could be a secular song because you won't save, save yet. And you're like, oh, I think about the Lord. I mean, you come outside and you look at the sun and you go, thank God he didn't stay in that tomb. He's risen. This, the moon comes out and you're like, oh, he died for me. Am I right? Am I right? Am, am I right? So, first, you have to get back to this place. This place. If it's going back and listening to songs that Andre Crouch wrote, when you first got saved, get back to it. Get back to it. And then check this out. This is also how the bride feels. I'm going to read this in the Amplified. But this is how the bride feels about her husband. 
says, however, let each man of you without exception love his wife as being in a sense his very own self and let the wife see that she, here we go, respects and reverences her husband, that she notices Jesus, that she regards Jesus, that she honors Jesus, that she prefers Jesus, that she venerates Jesus and esteems Jesus and that she defers to Jesus, that she praises Jesus and loves Jesus and admires Jesus exceedingly. That's an extreme love. That's first love. How many people do that? None of us, probably. We could all be a better bride. I'm sure. I'm sure we can. But how do you get to the place where that's it? It's where you are fascinated with who he is. You need to ask God. You need to pray for spiritual hunger. When you're really hungry for the Lord, you are desperate for him. You become like Rachel when she was talking to Jacob because her sister Leah had already had children. She says, Jacob, give me children or else I die. That's how I want to be with the Lord. I've got to have him. I miss him. I miss his presence. I didn't get to open my Bible today, and I miss it. It brings me grief. It brings me sorrow that I did not get to spend the time with my bridegroom king. This is where we got to be. How do you get spiritual hunger? You just start eating. Just open your Bible and start reading. Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, would you pour out the spirit of wisdom and revelation? I want to know the Father. And would you make Jesus real to me and let him jump out on every page? And he will. You hear what I said? And he will. If you ask him seriously, wholeheartedly, Lord, make Jesus real to me. He will be. He will be. Okay? So, again, all of that just to say, how are you preparing for him? So, John 14, 3, we turn in pages here. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. So the 12 months has ended. The bridegroom is coming back. And he says, I went to prepare a place, but now I'm coming back. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So he told the disciples that we're in the last days. And if he told them that they were in the last days, we got to be in the last of the last days. Right. We got to be. And I don't know if you can feel it. I can feel it. He's close. He's close. I've always I mean, every pastor mentions every generation has thought they would be the generation I know I've been saying in high school, I'm going to be the generation. And so, like, I'm, like, really convinced that we're going to be the generation. Now, when I say that, what does that do to your heart? The Lord is coming back. Listen. Your bridegroom is coming back. Jesus is coming back. What does that do to your heart? Did, did your heart leap? Did you get excited? Oh, I know him now, but I will really know him. I will know him fully as I have known, or did terror, fear just strike your heart? Or did you not feel anything about that? That's a litmus test. Am I the bride he's coming back for? And I'll let that fall where it is because I can feel, I can so feel it. When I read Matthew 24 and how Jesus says all these things would be, I'm like, let me throw up a couple of extra shananas in the spirit and make sure we're good. Because 
I want to be so ready. I want to be so ready. And so listen to this. A friend of mine, a woman of God, she had this vision. And I asked her if I could share this vision with you. And I'm going to share this vision. This is what she saw. She saw Jesus walking down the hall and towards the bridal suite. The bride had her dress and her veil on, and she was looking herself over in the mirror. She looked ready, but when Jesus got close to her, she saw him, and she bent over real quick and covered herself. All of a sudden, her dress wasn't zipped, and her shoe wasn't on. That's how ready we think we are. That's how ready she thinks she is. And then he turns the corner and walks down the hall and opens another door, and then it's a sea of people who are eagerly waiting on him. So a lot of times we say, I'm ready. I'm the bride. And Jesus is at the door. And we're still like, I got just a few, I got a few more things to let go. He says, lay aside the sin that so easily besets us. I just got this. I got it. I'm not quite ready. I'm ready. Like I'm 95% ready, Lord. But you're not though. And because you're not, if we're not, he's going to go to who is ready. Does that make sense? I know I read in First Thessalonians 4 that those of us who remain will be caught up in the air. Not everybody's going to be caught up in the air. And that should break your heart. That breaks the Father's heart. Because, again, he went through extreme lengths to make sure you could be where he is. And the Lord is not slack nor slow concerning his promises, but he is patiently waiting so that everybody can come to the knowledge of who he is. Wow. I pray that everybody in here has come to the knowledge of who he is. I pray that everybody who's, even if you come to church every Sunday, I pray that you've really come to the knowledge of who he is and that you are ready. Can I, we're almost done. Can y'all bear with me just a few more minutes? So we're talking about being ready right now. So let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. And it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made. Remember, he's going to come, and he's preceded by a shout. There was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go you rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Behold, he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. So watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. What made these five foolish and what made these five wise? 
It was the oil. And we know that the oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. It is the means by which we, God who is spirit, can commune with him, spirit to spirit. Now, how do we commune with him, spirit to spirit? He said, depart from me. I never, like, they were there. They were close. They were right outside the door. God's merciful. He's kind. He sees me where I am. He'll forgive me. He'll let me in. They were right there. And he said, not so. I don't know you. I don't know you. So how do they get this extra oil? They spend time in the secret place with him. They spend time in the bridal chamber with him. And here's, here's all I'm saying. It's that one-on-one time with, the God, with God. See, this is great when we're all coming together. But I am getting oil in my lamp when I spend time with the Lord, just me and him. And it's called the secret place. It's an intimate place because nobody knows what goes on in there but me and him. Does that make sense? He's telling me things, <laughs> and I'm telling him things, <laughs> and he's telling me how I can worship him. He's telling me what things he doesn't like that's in me so I can give up, so I can make myself a better bride for him. But here's the whole point of it is we're, we're building history. We're building a track record, and he knows what he's getting with Joshua because he spent time with me. Check this out. Your serving is what you should do. You are it's not works that you are saved, but you are saved unto good works. So you should do good works if you are saved, but it's not your pouring coffee that means you have a relationship with the Lord. It is not your leading worship that means you have a relationship with the It's not even my preaching that means I have a relationship with the Lord. That's not the standard. It's whether he knows me, whether I have spent time with him in that secret place. Remember, he says, many will say in that day, Lord, have I not cast out demons in your name? Have I not uh, done all these mighty things in your name? Matthew 7, I think. And he goes, depart from me. I never knew you. The word knew, it's a word for intimacy. And you say, surely, Joshua's preaching a mighty word. Surely he's raising the dead. Now, I haven't done that yet, but it's coming. Surely he's casting out devils. Surely he knows the Lord. No, his name just works. His blood just works, and he will use whoever is willing to be used. But it does not mean that he, that he knows you. So here's what you need to ask. Does the Lord know me? Does he know me? And then for the sake of time, I won't read it. Ah, oh, yes, I will. I'm going to read it. Revelation 19. You ready? I'm going to read it. He's coming back, and he's going to get those that are looking out for him, that are watching for him, that he knows, and he's going to say, Come in to me, and we're going to have this huge blowout party. Revelation chapter 19, verse 5 says, And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. That word marriage means, I mean, blessed, excuse me, means happy. You're going to be so happy when you are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. If you would, come on, stand to your feet.